This is the Magga Puja night. And the Magga is of season. And this uh, is uh, historically or traditionally held as one of the important uh, celebration days in Theravada Buddhist countries. And uh, It's usually when they, in Thailand, for example, the uh, disciples of the teacher go and to the monastery and pay respect. They're like probably at Wat Pong right now. The many branch monks from the different branches would be going to to the main monastery, <coughs> or they did anyway when Lumpur Cha was alive. I don't know what they do now. <clears throat> but it comes from an event where the 1,250 arahants assembled to pay respect to the Lord Buddha. And they came without making prior arrangements. So they all were the same mind. 1,250 arahants. So this is this is a, a legend, or maybe it's actually a true in history. But who knows what you know in terms of it is a perception in the mind. <clears throat> so how to use that perception for awareness? You know, it's like uh, we could get into a historical mode. Like, is this actually proven in? fact in history that there actually were there 1,250 arahants on the full moon of Magga and we want to know if it's actually true or false and that's one way of looking at it one can look at it metaphorically <coughs> uh, mythically mythologically whatever but uh, it is a perception the Buddha, 1,250 arahants, even Magga Puja. <clears throat> so just uh, recognizing the way it is. Now these perceptions have an effect on our consciousness. So, you know, like the Buddha for me has a good effect. I think if the Buddha has a kind of positive, uh, faith-inspiring effect on my consciousness. Uh, so does the prospect of 1,250 arahants assembling all at once unsolicited to pay respect to the Buddha, because these are very positive images, aren't they? They're, 
like the arahants, uh, <coughs> people, human beings who have broken through the realm of illusion, seen the Dhamma, <coughs> paying respect to uh, the Lord Buddha. Buddha is the symbol for uh, awareness, seeing things as they are, uh, not being deluded. So that this, um, <coughs> just beginning to recognize how these perceptions affect the mind. Now, you can examine this in your own mind, like uh, how does the word arahant affect you? No, you can take take this word and and uh, see it as in terms of some remote um, kind of abstract idea. Um, there's some kind of high attainment for a human being, or question whether people you know doubt whether there are any arahants in the world today, and because nobody really knows what an arahant is. We have, we, you know, unless you, you have experienced that, you wouldn't know, you can only speculate. I remember in Thailand, in, when I lived there, the Westerners used to come always wanting to know if Ajahn Chah was an arahant, or going to different teachers, Buddha Dasa and arahant, and his, uh, all like that, looking for arahants. Uh, so this is the Dalai Lama and Arahant or Bodhisattva when I was in Chile and this is the question everybody was asking me about the difference between Bodhisattvas and Arahants because in Chile there seems the dominant influence uh, in Buddhist world is Tibetan and Zen so they're full of these views about Bodhisattvas and uh, and then the conflict about whether, you know, which is better, an arahant or bodhisattva, what part you say. So this is uh, this is the way the human mind is. We grasp these concepts. These are concepts, and uh, then we can we can prefer one over the other. Some people like the bodhisattva concept. It's it's rather altruistic in how it's presented, isn't it? And it seems more altruistic and kind of more inspired than the Arahant. But what I'm pointing to is that these are, are perceptions, these are words that are human-made words. And so we're, you know, if, we, if we're just going on the level of grasping concepts in words, then we, we get confused because the different words can be used differently and the assumptions that we make from these concepts can be different. How you particularly relate to the word arahant, you know, is only known by you, whether it inspires you or bores you or, or you, you, you makes you doubt or makes you uh, increases your faith, whatever. Only you can know that. You know, like Bodhisattvas, that's, that's putting, uh, that, that is very inspired concept in Mahayana Buddhism. It's very altruistic. 
Altruism then is, is taking words to, to a kind of ultimate peak of, of grandeur, isn't it? Where the Bodhisattva sacrifices any personal interest in, and any selfish intentions for the welfare of all sentient beings. So that is the kind of, that is altruism that's very inspiring. Just noticing that, that, that we live in a, you know, we, we oftentimes live in a world of abstract ideas, concepts, and, uh, how we relate to the world is through, uh, through, um, projection. We project our ideas and loves and hates and prejudices onto life as we experience it. <coughs> and so this is, uh, a, a realm of suffering because uh, we're creating the world and then projecting it outward. So we 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 experience the world through the limitations of our own projections, and uh, and that can only lead to a sense of something lacking and unsatisfying, something incomplete. So in uh, Meditation, the practice or bhattipatta, is to is is stopping this this uh, tendency to to create out of ignorance, just the uh, worlds and views and uh, opinions about the world and ourselves and others, towards awakening to the reality of now, here and now. Not, not trying to fit now into the perceptions that we, that we hold to, but, uh, getting beyond that. So with awareness, mindfulness is the ability to open to this present moment. You know, without creating anything out of it, just noticing, witnessing it for what it is. Without looking for anything <coughs> special, you know, like trying to, when we've got some kind of plan in our mind, you know, finding the ultimate truth here and now, then <clears throat> we're already holding a view and grasping it and then trying to find our perception of ultimate truth uh, in, in, uh, without seeing what we're doing. We're grasping a, a view of it. And then we try to find it in the present. There's a very becomes hopeless because uh, that's not that doesn't work that just is more delusion so it's not in trying to find find the Dhamma or uh, attain anything in the present but to uh, learn to open to the present to receive this present moment uh, in whatever way if one is experiencing it. So in the meditation we're, we're learning to say relax into the present. So putting it into words that convey the sense of receptivity. Um, because to open to something you have to you, if you're trying to you know, if you're grasping the ideas of opening to the present, you tend to make yourself tense. 
is like saying relax and you say I should relax, I should relax you're actually making yourself more tense and by grasping the idea of relaxation so it's not a matter of of uh, trying to make yourself become someone who's relaxed but learning how to to relax opening to even that the the tension that's present in the in the that you you might be experiencing now it start with the way it is not with some ideal of being a relaxed person but with if you're all uptight tense uh, at this moment opening to that allowing it to be rather than trying to get rid of it because you want to you've, you've got some idea of, of relaxation that you want to achieve that's a different very different and when, when you think about Buddhism practice yourself in the world and uh, and Mahayana and Theravada and all these concepts and different conventions and you know you're, it, it, we grasp the teachings we grasp the ideas and grasp the tradition and grasp everything and in the grasping we're, we're somehow missing the point in that uh, even if we grasp all the, you know, all the best, it's still grasping that's the problem that is the cause of the suffering. Like trying to figure out, figure it out, with you know, by thinking and analyzing. You know, it's, it, that won't it'll never get you anywhere. It's when you you stop thinking. It's like an imminent act of, of, of trusting, opening to the unknown. The right now, say, uh, whatever thoughts, moods, uh, physical uh, experiences you're having, you know, it's not a matter of, of trying to, to change them, but learn to receive them, to allow things to be what they are. <coughs> so there's these desires that, that we attach to, this, this sense of dhanha and attachment, upadana, this kind of drivenness, obsessiveness that we create in our lives. Even meditation can become compulsive is that sitting practice becomes compulsive and got to sit so many hours a day. Uh, it can become a very compulsive habit we develop. So even, the, even with good advice, good suggestions, wise teachings, the grasping of them, uh, oftentimes blindness to the reality of the present moment. So in when we do contemplate the way things are, you know, that we realize that there's only now. In terms of experience, now is all there is. So, 
it's um, just a, a realizing that. Because to, now you don't have to conceive it. You just open to it. You don't have to say, call this moment now, do you? It, you know, it is the way it is. And and if you if you hold to this is now and then you hold to that you can't you, it's hard to get beyond your own grasping. <clears throat> so now it doesn't demand that you, you know, it does. It's not a speculative thing, not mystery, not something, uh, you know, um, that might become might happen in the future. Now includes everything that you're experiencing, whether it's pleasant, unpleasant, emotional, intellectual, physical, psychic, good, bad, good and evil, right and wrong. It includes a whole, whole lot. In the whatever is your, that, that, that one is experiencing through the, this human form at this moment is the way it is. Then we call it, you know, good, bad, right, wrong, pleasant, painful. We put, we, we, we have this habit of, of judging it in some way, some kind of value judgments. So we, we live in, you know, we create problems in the present, you know, because we can think about tomorrow. And the possibility of some, you know, maybe tomorrow there's something that, some some kind of thing you feel you have to be doing or some meeting you have to attend. But actually, that the suffering you're creating is is in the present. You know, thinking about some difficult situation you have to encounter tomorrow. Actually, the very thought of, oh, it's going to be a, problem and it's really difficult and I don't know if I can stand it. That's, you're creating that suffering right now before that event even happens. <clears throat> just, uh, you know, just see how things work, how, how suffering is created always in the present through ignorance, through avicca, not not realizing the way things are through grasping out of ignorance, out of avicca. So, you know, we make cowards of ourselves. We, we uh, create problems about ourselves, about others, about the society, about everything that, that we, you know, that we grasp conceptually. So then the, the Buddha is the symbol for this awakeness, awakened state of being. So awakeness isn't some, isn't an idea, it's, 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 uh, real, you know. If I think I sh- I've got to wake up right now, and, and I just obsess my mind with the idea that I, I should wake up, I'm, I'm uh, caught in some idea of awakeness. But if the if I think of the Buddha, think of the awakened 
that which is awake, the knower, the knowing now, then that reminds me to to be present, to receive this moment in whatever way uh, it appears in conscious in this conscious experience. So it's not complicated or difficult, is it's not it's not a a great feat of psychic development. Unless you want to make it such. So we can make enlightenment into some very remote possibility. Just because we can conceive, we can, we can hold a view about enlightenment as, and our own ability or lack of ability or the possibility or the probability or whatever. And, it, and so what, you know, what is enlightenment? So then, of course, you ask me, and I give you uh, my view, and Dalai Lama gives you his view, and then you go some other monk or nun or teacher or guru, and they all give you, you know, they, you read the Pali Text Society Dictionary. And then, then you, you form a view about it. So, instead of, you know, seeing the grasping the concept of enlightenment, is, uh, you know, then, then it becomes an abstract, it becomes an ideal that we create in the present. Something that might, that might seem very high and remote. Because how do you see yourself in the present? You, you see yourself as unenlightened, I'm unenlightened. It's all right, Mark. <laughs> Everything belongs in the moment. <laughs> Oh, just contemplating that in terms of if I think I am enlightened now, that's another creation, isn't it? If right now I think I'm fully enlightened, that's a that's a concept. Or I think I'm not enlightened. So it's not a matter of thinking, is it? It's a matter of letting go of thinking about yourself, creating yourself. Creating yourself as somebody who's unenlightened is, is, a, is a creation out of ignorance. Or creating yourself as somebody who is because that self is, is, depends on, on words, concepts. Identity with, some, with something, either with abstract ideas or with property with the body with your memories emotions so that that the self in terms of the 
of what they call in the Sakyaditi, personality, is a creation, personality we create. So, a personality is, um, is an acquired thing. And we, we become personalities as, you know, as we grow up. We develop personalities. So, in terms of awakening, not trying to get rid of a personality or an attack on, on idiosyncratic thinking or uniqueness or individuality or anything like that, but just getting to the source, you know, before the becoming process takes place, before you create yourself as an unenlightened person or an enlightened one, what's there, you know, before you think or create yourself or define yourself in any way. So that's a mind stopper, isn't it? You, you have to, you know, your, your thinking process stops. What what am I before I start thinking about myself? So my my thinking stops when I when I think that thought. What am when I ask that question? <clears throat> and so just noticing that I'm aware of that that the the, the thought process has stopped. And so it's, in, in the, and the, that awareness then is receptive to this, to this, uh, to this moment without projecting anything into it. It is the, the thinking, I'm not no longer caught in trying to figure out how to do it or, or what I am or should or shouldn't be. I'm just present. So in this state of, of, of emptiness, of, of awareness, receptivity, then, uh, you know, there's, we're not, we're no longer caught in the, in the movement of thinking, but receptive to the, the physical experience as it is now. Or emotional, uh, quality that we might be having at this moment. So, and everything belongs in this moment, you know. It, if if I've got you know like say if somebody's cell phone goes off, say the ideal is, and if I'm clinging to the view that people should turn off their cell phones when they enter the temple, and then so I've, I'm clinging to this view, and then somebody's cell phone goes buzz buzz buzz. And then, then, then I, then that triggers off. They're supposed to turn off their cell phones before they come into the temple. <laughs> and then the thinking process moves on from there, you know. <clears throat> or, in an empty mind, if there's no grasping of anything, then things are what they are, you know. One isn't making a problem about contingencies or incidents or things that happen that might be irregular or unexpected or surprising or unwanted in the in the present moment. Because this way we 
we accommodate, we allow the, this moment to be as it is. It's not without the uh, without projecting or demanding, creating these projections or demands or desires. Just notice how, how much suffering we do create over not wanting, you know, like, like people get very attached to silence and uh, so that they, they uh, you know, they want everything to, to be silent for their meditation. So when, 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 the, when that happens, then they're okay, but then suddenly... Uh, uh, unpleasant noise is heard and there's a, an aversion arising because one is attached to this ideal of silence. So we suffer. We suffer from, from grasping silence <coughs> or the idea that it should be silent when, and then feeling upset, angry and threatened when the silence is broken. <clears throat> so, you see, the, the, the problem is always with the grasping, this ubadana, clinging. When we have high standards for life, you know, we want things to be, uh, you know, we create high standards for behavior, for cleanliness, for order, and and then we cling to these standards. What we've set ourselves up to suffer enormously, isn't it? Because then, then we um, we get into, you know, being very controlling, trying to make fit everything into our sense of what's right and proper and orderly, and high standards. And then we're always being challenged and threatened by by the behavior of others or situations where we can't, we, we lose control or where these high standards are not respected. So just, you know, you can see in, in uh, countries like Switzerland, very high standards, people suffer a lot there because they've got such high standards. So that that their suffering is around things that, uh, you know, the threats of immigrants or fruit pickers. I remember when I was there a few years ago, they were all upset because of fruit pickers from Spain and Portugal were there. And they, they were doing the work no Swiss would ever conceive of themselves doing. But they didn't want them to stay there. You know, come and pick the fruit and get out kind of feeling. <clears throat> and you can see the suffering involved in, the, in you know, the mind. Of, uh, we've, we've got to keep our high standards and you get all these kind of alien-looking people in the country. You don't know what they're up to and they might lower our standards. Uh, you can see it happening in, in Europe now with the expansion of the 
European Union, getting all these Eastern Europeans coming in, you know. <laughs> I don't know what to expect. <laughs> They're going to lower the standards, take away our jobs and that, because, you know, we, have, we get very attached. We want things to be a certain way and not to change. So we create suffering um, in our lives endlessly, even when things are going well, isn't it? When, when, when everything is going well and there's harmony and, and uh, there's always the, the fear of it changing. There's some troublesome person coming in or some difficult situation arising. Because those are possibilities, probabilities, ever-present ever possibilities for us. And anything you can think of is possible in the future. Though, of course, worry, the tendency to worry, anxiety, these kind of curses that we create in our lives, worrying about the future <clears throat> is um, you know bringing up into into the present all the possibilities of everything falling apart, going wrong getting a terminal illness losing our loved ones our money, our house, our property our cat dying goldfish I've known people who, who worry about everything they can possibly think of. Because goldfish are mortal, cats and French poodles. Societies change. And now, of course, they try to hold, hold England into being really English is an impossibility, isn't it? So, this this awareness then allows us to open to the present and which includes you know the the good the bad the success failures the the right and wrong because these are when we when we open to life and receive it in a, with awareness and trust our refuges in the awareness then we can, uh, we don't create suffering. That's not suffering. And we can endure the, the problems and difficulties and changes that come to us. You know, we're tremendously, we're great survivors, human beings, and we, we can endure all kinds of, most everything, except our own suffering. That's which we create. So like uh, having uh, terminal illness, the doctor diagnoses that you've got a terminal illness, and then you think, oh, I've got a terminal illness, oh dear me, I'm going to die. That's suffering. You're creating that suffering. Uh, the body is going to die anyway. We all have terminal illness. Isn't that? We're all, birth is the cause of death. 
so we're all going to die anyway, so what's the problem? And they, they, they're not going to die, I've got a terminal illness, I was born. Then you think, uh, <laughs> I've got, I've got, I've been diagnosed as having terminal cancer, and then that, that's upsetting, isn't it? To, to be diagnosed like that. And then we create the suffering. The cancer is what it is. The illness, what it, how it, what it does and how it feels, it is what it is. You know, this is, this is bearable. The, the process of, of change and disease, of physical pain and and so forth. These are bearable experiences, but the what is unbearable for us is our resentment, our fear, the the mental reactions we create onto the, this experience. Who people suffer a lot worrying about they might get cancer even before even when they don't have it and that's suffering isn't it worrying will I get cancer and that that's the suffering that that I'm creating right now in the present so it's contemplating you know how things actually are how how it works how your mind operates uh, is Thinking, of course, complicates. You, see, you know, thinking is a very limited function that we, we have, that we tend to be very attached to, trying to figure out everything. Where you don't trust your own ability to open and receive life, the natural intelligence that we're gifted with in this form, we we want to find it. Where is it? And and measure it and uh, prove it. <clears throat> but just the fact that that I'm sitting here at this moment, there's consciousness operating. So I'm aware. Awareness is is operating. I'm aware when I when I just reflect, and I'm aware suddenly my my right hand becomes conscious. That I'm my right hand for some reason. Or pressure of sitting on the seat suddenly that that's conscious. Aware the sound of silence in the background. And so that and all of this belongs, isn't it? Uh, the right hand, the pressure of body sitting on the seat, sound of silence, the breath. So I'm receiving thing, the, the experience of this moment. Not trying to find experience or, 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 or react to it, but just receive it, allow it to be what it is. No matter how insignificant it might be. <clears throat> Like pressure of sitting on a seat doesn't seem, ter- you know, like a real important thing to be conscious of in terms of value judgment, is, at least not in my value judging mind. But it does arise in consciousness if I, rec- if I open, if I'm receptive 
aware. Stop thinking. Now, when when I found this sound of silence, the best way to stop thinking. That's why I why why I valued it so much, because I was such an obsessed thinker. I couldn't stop thinking. I had no no ability to didn't couldn't figure out how to stop thinking because I kept thinking about not thinking, and I wanted to get rid of thinking. So I did, you know, I started observing, you know, thought itself, gaps between words, and then noticing this this cosmic vibration in the background. And so the mind is, is held in a state of suspended, the thought, thought process stops, but there's still full awareness, consciousness operating. So then, you know, what, what's left? Well then the reflective ability, you, you're, you're no longer trying to figure things out and then find things according to ideas. You're actually uh, in a state of awareness, of enlightened awareness, when you trust this, this, this stillness, this still point. It's what enlightenment is, it's seeing things in, in terms of uh, seeing things as they are. It's not a personal achievement. Like, uh, I've, I've attained some great state. It's a natural state of being that we, we forget and we don't, we don't even value because we're always projecting things, creating our own creations into, into our consciousness. Like self-consciousness, me. What do you, what do people think of me? You know, what do you do? You like me or don't you? What do people think? Of, that's I'm creating a problem in the present, isn't it? Wanting people's approval or fearing their disapproval. This is the suffering I create in the present. But if I stop thinking, I don't create those things. Because there's, there's, there's no, you know, I'm not, I'm not creating a, a thought of me and you and whether you approve of me or not. And the, the whole thing drops into the void. But there's still awareness. And that awareness you can't grasp it. You can only trust it. That's why I say relax. These words like relax, trust, um, open, receptivity. Like when we close off to life, isn't it? We 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 shut ourselves off from things. So we we're trying to get something that we're creating some ideal or some goal that we've created and we're trying to get samadhi. So we, we, we shut ourselves off. We've got this idea you should get samadhi. This is one of the, the whining cries in the Theravada school. 
get your samadhi. <laughs> so then, then, uh, then uh, this, this is, uh, you know, we're shutting off to get something we conceive of. That samadhi is something we should get that we don't have. With awareness, if if we are doing that, we can be aware this is what we're doing. So awareness precedes everything, you know. Then we can, you know, if we want to concentrate the mind on something for refined concentration, there's nothing wrong in that. It seems skillful. But it's coming from awareness rather than from ignorance. Isn't it? It's coming from, and and it's not not just a, a shutting down from the world. It's opening and then choosing what you particularly want to, what you what you're inclined to at this at this present moment, here and now. So the encouragement then is learning to trust in your own ability to just even if. Even if you're, don't know what you're doing, just awareness that you're confused and don't know, that's, that's, that's fine. Just like being confused and uncertain is like this. You know, it's not trying to become aware and empty and clear. Those are concepts again that you're trying to, you know, that you're, you're clinging to. And and then you're trying to get rid of the fact maybe that you're not that way, that you're confused, um, angry, fed up with everything. So in terms of, like we're not asking you to, to get rid of those feelings, but to receive them. I found like like confusion, that in being emotionally confused, I used to find very distressing experience, and so um, I didn't like the feeling of of being confused. So I was always trying to, whenever I felt confused, I wanted to always have certainty, like definite answers to questions and clear directions. And I wanted certitude. I didn't want confusion. So there's always, in my life, before I started meditating, there's always a desperate attempt to, to have certainty in it, to clarify everything, make decisions, and uh, hold to them. And and uh, when life became confusing, then uh, you know one just uh, felt very angry with people that that made problems or made or were confused because I didn't like it myself. So then uh, the in terms of like Saripatana they see see them like in Chittanupasanizing seeing things as they are like confusion is confusion doubt is doubt. Uh, so what is confusion? So when, when if confusion is present, I began to recognize confusion is like this. Feeling emotionally confused is like this. And just by receiving 
confusion. Suddenly I wasn't suffering from it anymore. That confusion wasn't the cause of suffering, it was the grasping, trying to resist it and get rid of it, resenting it. Sometimes life is confusing, part of being human, isn't it? And so, so it's not, nothing wrong with, with confusion, part of everyone's experience. So like confusion, um, feeling of insecurity, anxiety. And when I, if I feel anxious about something, then, then I open that. Once I recognize I'm feeling anxious or worried, I receive it. Worry, I'm worrying is like this, and I feel this kind of, this kind of mental agitation and not not analyzing why or judging, but just noticing worry. When when there's worry, worry in consciousness, it's like this. Being aware of it as a as a mental object. So in this way, you know, like the 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 whole range of human experience is is allowed we're not trying to to become perfect uh, kind of ideals an arahant then isn't some some pristine ideal idealized human being that we might create we might think of an arahant as a uh, you know, as some perfected human being who's beyond all this. And that's the creation of the mind. But in terms of, you know, the Theravada use of the word arahant, it means uh, one who has broken through the realm of delusion, no longer attaching to things out of ignorance. So, and and then if you're trying to find somebody who's an arahant, then you, you know, you even if you find an arahant, it's not going to do you much good. So, so if you, you know, instead of trying to go around looking around the world looking for arahants, look at yourself. Not in a judgmental way, comparing yourself with some idea you have about how arahants are perfect and I'm a mess. But just, but if that's what you're doing, being aware of that, how you create ideals of, how, of perfection and then the realities of how you're feeling are like this, it's this way. You know, when I feel inferior and threatened as a person, it's because I'm comparing myself in some way with some ideal. My personality is very dependent on on uh, conditions being, you know, feeling I feel safe and, and secure because the conditions, you know, there's no threatening conditions and and uh, 
everything is 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 agreeable to me at this time, and I feel accepted and loved and appreciated and then and then things change, so one is just a kind of like a leaf in a storm there's always this this anxiety because um on a personal level, we're so so vulnerable, so easily upset, uh, so uh, so much a victim of circumstances. So, on the personality level, it's a hopeless case trying to to uh, you know have a perfect personality. So it's it's uh, you know just trying to be a positive thinker and do all the right things and think all the right thoughts and and that that's an ideal you know but in terms of the way things are when conditions arise when when tragedy strikes when wars happen when you when life is totally unfair and unjust to you as an individual. Personally, we get we get destroyed by it, don't we? We become depressed or embittered or blaming. We we become neurotic. We go insane <clears throat> because on that level, we you know the conditions have uh, you know life is treated as badly and it's unfair and and we're not prepared for that in any way. So, uh, person, personally, we become precious. We've got to, we've got to create an environment where I feel safe, secure, and nothing, you know, too violent is going to take place. And and then I, then I, I'm, I try to control life to, to make my experience fit into that ideal. Where what I'm saying is is learning, you know, is 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 opening to the present, which is can you know, meaning you're you're no longer uh, making conditions about the present. Present is any way it is, where wherever you are, the present is now, in whatever is is happening. So. So that isn't isn't uh, it's not only open to the present when you're in the temple in Amravati, but uh, it means you know it's a continuous the developing the path is is learning to trust in this awareness. Then this awareness is is with us all the time, whether we're in the temple or in the in London or whatever. So then, we can, you know, we we have, we, uh, you know, our life is then one of discovery and understanding. We learn what we need to learn from our karma, from the way things happen to us, in in every way, you know, whether it's fair or unfair, right or wrong. Wanted or unwanted, 
unjust or just or whatever. We learn. We learn from everything if we're open. If we if we are if we're not open, then we don't learn from life. We just have to always control things and and try to protect ourselves from from um, unwanted situations. And so death is the ultimate experience, isn't it? The physical death of the body. That's something we're all going to experience in the future. So, this opening to the present is the way to deal with that. Because as you as you develop that confidence, developing the path, confidence, you you know it becomes the, it the, it strengthens this sense of of trust, expands. It, it, it has no limit. Uh, well, so it includes even the physical death of the body. So it includes everything that we, where you know, the possibility that. The, anything that happens, good, bad, right, wrong, fair, unfair, as well as the the illnesses, the diseases, the the body, the death of the body itself, the loss of loved ones, loss of family, of partners, of children, of parents, and that. These are all bearable in terms of experience here and now. So just to encourage you with this, uh, just to keep pointing to it and, uh, you know, so that you because we do, we, we, the problems that we all have in in, our, in this meditation practice is doubt. We we don't trust ourselves in our own experience. We tend to <coughs> Western monks and nuns. You know the the big problems they have in meditation are lack of faith, really, especially in in direct experience. Because we, we we understand the concepts quite easily, and then we're always trying to to achieve and attain these different levels and th- things that we read in the scriptures. So we're we're we see ourselves always from uh, in in a in in a certain way from the ego level, and then we um, we grasp the teaching. And we don't have confidence in our in our own experience of meditation. Just like I can, you know, like you you project a lot onto me of being an authority or a meditation master or whatever. And then then you expect then you think, you know, then you and if I don't agree with you. Then you, you, I could easily put you in, I could intimidate you, couldn't I? I could put you in a state of doubt. 
You know, if you if you project onto me, I'm the authority, and you're you're the you're the disciple. You're the one who's beginner at meditation, and I'm the expert. You know, if you don't examine that, then then I have power over you. I can intimidate you. So you, your own experience, you, know, you say, I just made, I had this feeling, that wasn't emptiness. <laughs> no, I guess not. <laughs> so, you know, just examine the, the whole, the whole thing here is for reflection, your relationship to to me as teacher, you know, what is teacher, disciple, teacher, student, these kind of things, you, you know, you can say, I don't want a teacher, you're not my teacher, you can deny me or you can, but that's not the point, isn't it? It's not to, to, to uh, grasp or, you know, approve or deny, but recognize how things happen, how seniority or or position, or, you know, structure, convention, affect consciousness at this moment. So, it, you know, so the convention being uh, uh, like Paul, the new, newest anagorica. So, you know, he's at the end of the line now. Before he was just in the amorphous mass of lay people. Now he's, he's got a position in the line. <laughs> well, just recognizing this, you know, this is just seeing the, you know, examining that is experience. I'm at the end of the line. I'm the last anagarika, like this. The feeling of, you know, just not not to think there's any way you should feel. Just notice. What is like becoming a committed member of the Sangha is like this. Or not being committed to the, to the monastic Sangha is like this. So you're, you're awakening and, and, and recognizing things as they are. Rather than trying to adopt, trying to, to become something. If you trust yourself to, to, to uh, you know, to, in, in this, because this awareness is not, it's not conceptual, so it, it's not based on believing or grasping ideas or conventions. And, it, and it's, uh, but it is intelligent. So it's, and, and it isn't, it's not trying to find fault with the conventions or, you know, one can make a problem about the conventions endlessly, you know, in, in the monastic Sangha. And some people do. They love to just worry and anguish about the convention because they're not perfect. So that's... And without seeing what they're doing, how this, this, this is not the problem really, the convention, it's the grasping of the convention.
So in terms of trusting yourself, it's, uh, it's not trusting an opinion you, you form about yourself or the convention, but trusting yourself to, to, to open to things, to see things in terms of the reality of this moment that the feeling I have being last on is like this. It's not, it's not, you know, it's just recognizing commitment for one year to being an Anagarakaramavati is like this. Well, does it feel, you know, emotionally? Just recognize, not any way you should feel or right or wrong about it. It's just learning to trust yourself to know this is how the feeling is like this right now. Not a, feelings don't, there's nothing permanent about them. They change according to conditions. So when everything's going well for you, you think, oh, I really love being an Anagarika. When things don't go well, and you have problems, then, oh, I don't like being an Anagarika. <laughs> so, so just notice that, that that's how things go. And, you know, one likes monasticism when it's going well, and one doesn't like it when it's not. Though on a level of, you know, liking and disliking, things are dependent, um, you know, dependent on conditions. Now the point is to to find your refuge transcending those conditions, but embracing those conditions. So in transcendent doesn't mean, you know, running away or turning your back or rising above it all, but transcendent, and how I use this word, means to, it embraces the personal feelings that one has of liking, disliking, approving, disapproving, So I offer this as a reflection for this evening that we have the circumambulation at what is it's nearly nine o'clock no ten o'clock ten thirty is that enough time okay <laughs>